Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Resiliency and Running Podcast. My name is Liz, and I will be your host. I'm so excited for today's episode because it is highlighting a very important topic that I am very passionate about. I've done past episodes on it, so if you haven't, check those out. But otherwise, just sit back and relax, and we'll just jump right into the episode. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I don't know how I'm going to sound on this podcast. It's my first time recording in Jack and I's new flat. We've noticed that the flat is a bit echoey, so apologies if this is a bit echoey, but I'm quite literally sitting on the floor with my laptop on the couch as well as my microphone or Jack's microphone and recording this, but I'm very excited. It's been a very hectic past week, but in all good ways, positive ways, because it's just been a lot of moving and a lot of furnishing, lots of Ikea trips and meatballs, and it's been so much fun. And I'm just really enjoying the process and taking it day by day. And I think that there's something so special about moving in with your partner for the first time and furnishing a place together and putting it together. And there's definitely lots of lows and lots of frustrations and just lots of tired days and just evenings after moving and hauling things all day. And And so I think it's definitely been a learning experience, but it's been so cool to furnish a place. It's my first time furnishing a flat. I've always lived in furnished flats. And so it's been quite a cool experience, an expensive one, but a very fun one. But yeah, it's been really good. And I'll just jump right into my highs and lows for the week. But I will just say that when this episode is released, I will have started the David Goggins 4x4x48 challenge. And if you are a longtime listener, you will know that I have done this challenge once before. So I'm very excited to kind of have my second go at it. I am confident that I can complete it, but I will say that it is different in the sense that I was only training for a half marathon last year, and this time I am training for Paris, which is in about a month now. And so I am a little bit nervous. My legs are feeling the soreness of the runs, and I am definitely doing all that I can to foam roll and take care of my body and fuel it. And so I'll definitely be documenting the entire process, but just know that by the time this episode is released, I definitely will be out running lots of miles, four miles every four hours for 48 hours. I am fundraising for two different causes. One is obviously to support Ukraine. And I just want to highlight before I go into my highs and lows that There are things happening in the world that are so much worse than what I'm going to share about my, whatever my highs or lows are. What I'm going to share, I guess, is just so minuscule compared to what people in Ukraine are experiencing right now. And I just want to highlight how important it is to raise awareness around it and how important it is to support causes. So I will include a link tree that I've created, sort of build up, built up of links that I have sort of researched and found of verified fundraisers for Ukraine. But I will be fundraising for different charities to support Ukraine, and I will also be fundraising for Alzheimer's Society. You know that I'm fundraising for Paris and Berlin Marathon this year. I'm running with the Alzheimer's Society team, and so I am kind of fundraising for both, but there is definitely more of a focus on the Ukraine crisis at the moment. And so I just want to highlight that before I jump into my highs and lows, because yeah, there are definitely things that are going on in the world that are so much worse than what I kind of am going through myself. All right, so my high for the week definitely has to be 
moving and just all, like I said in the beginning, all of the experience of getting furniture, buying furniture. Jack has been doing most of the putting together, but I have been there to support and just really putting and like building a home together. Even though it's just a flat, it is such a lovely home. It's very modern and Jack and I love it. It's very techie too, which we love. And it's just been very fun to kind of go and like I, I don't know, actually shop at Ikea. I feel like usually I'm just kind of looking for very small like kitchen items or small things for my room. And like, I think the biggest purchase I've ever made before this move was like a bookshelf. But I think like going and like one day we went and bought a bed and that was like all that we could fit in Jack's car just because there were so many different pieces. And then the next day we went and got a wardrobe and a desk and two bedside tables. And it's just, there's so many parts that kind of have to be put together. And so there's so many boxes, um, but we've definitely taken them all to a recycling point. But I think it's just been something that's been a very long time coming, something that Jack and I have talked about wanting to do for a long time. And we've always talked about, oh, you know, when we moved in, when we move in together, we can do this. And when we live together, this is going to happen or this will just happen. And it's kind of nice to kind of be there because I've been personally just hoping and yeah very impatiently waiting for this to happen and so I'm in a very happy place right now and just mentally in a really good headspace and much better than where I was before. My low for the week definitely just has to be kind of a mixture of things. I think that I said last week that I was feeling pretty just beat from my marathon training and it is getting to that point where the mileage really ramps up. I did a 19 mile run for my birthday and then I meant to do a 21 mile run this weekend, but obviously obviously that'll be postponed to next weekend as we're doing the David Goggins challenge this weekend. But I think I've also just got a bunch of nerves because I kind of feel like, I don't know, I feel like I'm not like prepared enough or like ready enough for this challenge. And I think last year I just did so much to prepare. But I think that in the end, it's not like a big, I don't know, it's not something that you have to like prepare like days in advance. I mean, you should get all the right fuel and hydration and things, but I think I'm kind of just getting in my head about not thinking that I'll be able to do it or not thinking that I'll be able to finish it. And I think that the idea is more so to go for it. And I think that I definitely feel like, I don't know, I think I would have been very much in the what ifs if I didn't go for it this year, if I didn't do the challenge again. And I think it's just also the weather. It's just been very rainy this week and London is being typical London. And I've just been, yeah, not so not so great and rainy runs are sometimes fun but also they've just been very wet the past few mornings and so it's just kind of a mixture of emotions I think for my low but I think at the end of the day with things like the David Goggins challenge I think this even though this is only my second time doing it I think doing it and knowing that I'm doing it for a purpose and for a cause and for a reason that is above me and for the better of people I think that that's what keeps me going and just knowing that I have like a community of people that support me so well for resiliency and running and so yeah I think I'm just trying to keep a positive headspace but it is hard sometimes when you just have bad days and you just kind of get in your head about things but yeah without further ado let's just jump into the episode. All right, so I mentioned last week in last week's episode that I definitely wanted to do an episode around 
National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. I spoke about how I know that this always falls around my birthday and this year it fell just before. So it was actually February 21st to 27th this year. And this is an annual campaign to educate the public about the realities of eating disorder and to provide hope, support, and visibility to individuals and families affected by eating disorders. And so I just wanted to highlight some of the importance statistics and things because if you've listened to prior episodes, I've always been very vocal about my eating disorder with my two-year battle with anorexia, everything that happened. And I shared a video that was kind of eye-opening for me because it kind of took me back down a path of kind of who I used to be because it was a trend on TikTok where you kind of go through old photos of you when you were at your lowest, when you you know, we're in your eating disorder and then you come out at the end and you just say how much stronger you are. And I think it's, yeah, like something like I can't hear you. And, you know, I love the trend and I love the idea, but definitely going back and having to kind of look for and dig for those photos was a little bit hard because it's hard to look at prior me who, you know, I think looks so happy in those photos and was trying to put on this front of, you know, I'm so happy because I'm so skinny. When really I was suffering every day and I was so depressed and I was so sad that I was, I've spoken about this further, but I'll just mention it really shortly here. I was self-harming at one point and apologies if that's a trigger. I'll, I'll put a trigger warning at the beginning of the episode, but yeah, I think it's just, it's really tough with eating disorders because I think so many people think, oh, you know, eating disorders aren't real and they're fake and, you know, just go and eat some food. But it's such a mental battle that people with eating disorders face every day and that they're battling these thoughts in their head that kind of just feel like they're never ending. Um, but yeah, before I kind of go further into my experience and kind of my thoughts on it, I just wanted to share some statistics and facts as of this year, 2022. So these were shared on the 25th of February. 2022, every 62 minutes, at least one person dies as a direct result from an eating disorder. Eating disorders are debilitating conditions that negatively impact a person's life across many domains. They represent the third most common chronic illness, and they take a substantial economic toll on the individual, their families, and society at large. No one is fully immune from an eating disorder. They can affect people from all walks of life, no matter your age, gender, or ethnicity. Eating disorders have become even more prevalent during the COVID-19 pandemic, partly because of the social distancing policies, mandated stay-at-home orders, and the disruption to healthcare services. In 2020, there was a 66% increase in eating disorder hospital admissions. Awareness of eating disorders and its devastating impact is fundamental if we are to reduce, encourage, help-seeking, reduce any stigma, and show care and compassion towards those affected. All of this is so urgently needed given that 75% of people with an eating disorder don't seek professional help. From 2018 to 2019, the U.S. estimated 4.39 million cases of women with eating disorders and 1.09 million cases of men. The overall lifetime prevalence of eating disorders was estimated to be 8.6% among females and 4.07% among males. 7.8 million Americans alive in 2018 to 2019 will develop an eating disorder in the future. The total financial costs associated with eating disorders were estimated to be $64.7 billion in 2018 to 2019, which equates to $11,808 per person with an eating disorder. 
4.1% of men and 5.7% of women reported engaging in binge eating, which has more than doubled since 1998. 2.4% of men and 4.3% of women reported engaging in extreme dieting, which has nearly tripled since 1998. About 1 in 5 people with an eating disorder attempt suicide, 1 in 2 people with an eating disorder feel like they don't deserve help, 50% of people with an eating disorder believe that they're less of a person, and the prevalence of a probable eating disorder for different racial groups was reported as follows. 28% Asian American, 27% Hispanic, 18% African American, 33% Middle Eastern, 23% American Indian, and 33% Pacific Islander. This resource goes on to share about 74 unthinkable facts around eating disorders, and I will include the link to the resource in the show notes. But I just wanted to highlight some statistics around eating disorders because it is such a an unfortunate but common thing that occurs within men and women. And I know of so many men and women that have gone through eating disorders that have never seeked medical help, that have always kind of kept it to themselves, or it's taken them years to kind of unravel what they went through in the past with their eating. And I think it takes time to really mend your relationship with food after recovering from an eating disorder. And I think that now there are so many different types of eating disorders and some that aren't even really categorized as an eating disorder because it is more so associated with a negative relationship with eating or a disordered relationship with food. There are so many different labels now for eating disorders and disordered relationships with food that I really just wanted to, again, kind of share my story and what sort of happened to me in my eating disorder and what recovery looked like because I think that with diet culture and what we see on social media, it's very easy for especially young women to fall into disordered thoughts and disordered eating habits and, you know, create body dysmorphic sort of ideas and thoughts in their minds. And I think it's such an unfortunate thing, but I think that there's so many far worse outcomes that could happen from trying to change your diet, restrict your food and count calories and, you know, track your weight and try and lose as much weight as possible. I think that with my experience, and I know that my experience wasn't the worst, and I've had guests on the podcast that have shared their experiences and some that were worse than kind of what I experienced. So for example, I had someone on the podcast where I shared that during my eating disorder, I lost my period for two years. And I think she had said that she lost it for something like 11 years. And that's something that's such a sign that your body is functioning normally, especially for women And having regular menstrual cycles is such an indicator of having a healthy body. And losing my period for two years was a terrible thing because my body just wasn't functioning normally. And there were so many other things like a low blood pressure. I think my heart rate was beating at something like 35 beats a minute and it was very slow. I had lots of dizzy spells even when I was at home, when I was at school. I remember once I quite literally passed out after I took a test and just not having enough energy and not having enough strength to kind of go throughout your day because you're not fueling yourself. And I think that there's so many implications and long-term things that can happen to you when you sort of decide to restrict your food and decide to focus on calories. And I think that it's really easy to fall into that mindset when you feel a lack of control in other areas of your life. This was the case for me in 
when I was going through my eating disorder in the very early stages because I was broken up with, I was moving states, I didn't really have or didn't really feel like I had control over my life. I was basically being forced by my parents to move to a brand new state away from friends that I'd grown up with and known for so long. And it was so much change, the most change that I had experienced at that point in my life that I was looking for something to have control of and something to know that I could just have control of and no one else sort of knew about it or could touch it or I don't know, it was kind of like my thing, but it was a very unhealthy thing and it led to lots of negative thoughts and habits that I built and habits specifically that really took quite a while to sort of lose. And I think people talk about those thoughts that kind of creep back into your head, especially during the holiday season. And that's something that I still kind of deal with. And I think that everyone kind of struggles with body image, but I think especially during the holidays, that's sort of a triggering time for me just because that's kind of when my eating disorder started. But I know that people develop habits as well from their eating disorders that can take sometimes years to get rid of because it's often very easy to fall back into old habits and things that you find comfort in rather than trying to make change and try and make yourself better. I remember trying to recover and feeling like I kept hitting a wall because when I finally was actually wanting to try and gain weight and work with my doctors to gain weight, it just, my body wasn't letting me gain weight. And it sounds so stupid, but it was because I hadn't, you know, I I battled anorexia and because I hadn't eaten in so long, I, my body was just not okay. And it was struggling really to kind of fill itself with foods because when you stop eating for such a long time, your stomach sort of shrinks. And so I just remember fighting so much with my mom as well, because you know, she wanted me to eat and she was only, you know, worried about me. And so she just wanted me to eat more and just be better faster. But in reality, I could only take so much food and my body just wasn't functioning the way that it it used to. And I think that the road to recovery always looked quite dark and it took a while for there to seem like there was a light at the end of the tunnel. But I think the moment that there was, the moment that I knew that all of the fighting that I had done all of the work that I had done to try and recover. When I saw the light at the end of the tunnel, that's when I really felt like, you know, I don't know, like I I finally had it together again because when I was trying to recover, I felt like I just kept running up a hill and falling back down. And part of my recovery looked like being taken out of sports. And when I was that age, I was such an active kid. And prior to my eating disorder, I played so many different sports and I loved running around and I was never really a runner when I was younger. I just played sports and running actually was something that I kind of fell into when I first kind of came out of recovery. Okay, quick side note, I have moved in a position of the flat closer to the road. So if you start hearing cars driving by, apologies. But as I said, running was kind of the first thing that I started doing when I was coming out of recovery, when I was cleared to sort of do sports again by my doctor. And it was the thing that I could kind of call my own and the thing that I could kind of start from scratch with because I didn't feel confident enough in myself to try sports again. I did however go for a couple of high school tryouts at my new high school and I just remember I couldn't be more embarrassed and it was such a frustrating thing because when I tried out for the soccer team I just kept envisioning myself getting to the ball faster and envisioning my sort of body just being in a 
you know, in, in a space. And I could see myself doing the play in my head, but my body just couldn't physically get me there. And I just remember it was so frustrating that I just gave up on it. And then I went for the volleyball team, but it was just, it was so bad. And I, I wasn't coordinated and I just felt so out of shape. And so, I don't know, I just, I didn't feel like I belonged and I felt like I lost my athleticism and I felt like I just, I don't know, I just running, running in that sense was kind of just nice because I think a team sport was something that I couldn't do at that point and I couldn't kind of go back and join a team in my recovery because I was very much still kind of trying to work on myself and work on building back up my athleticism and mobility and coordination And I will never forget this run that I did that was like one of my first runs out of recovery and, you know, being having just been cleared to do sports again. And I went for a run with my dad and it genuinely felt like someone had taken my legs off and put new ones on because I could not have felt less coordinated. Like it just felt so weird and I hadn't run in so long and I just, I was so frustrated with myself, but my dad was there with me kind of taking it one step at a time and slowly but surely over time running became this thing that was my escape and that I was able to kind of go to the park and kind of escape high school, escape this new school and go and have these runs on my own and I used to, I used to just use the Nike app and I wasn't very vocal about my running. I didn't really share it anywhere on social media because at the time I was still sort of embarrassed about my pace because I was still sort of building myself back up and I genuinely just wanted it to be something that I called my own and for lots of people that's what running is and it's not something that you kind of show off on Strava and that you want to tell your friends. I think that everyone has a very different relationship with running and for me at the time it was just something that was like my escape and it was purely just to kind of get myself away from things from family from friends from school and it was perfect for just that and I think slowly over time that relationship has definitely taken time to become a healthy relationship because in the height of my eating disorder I was using running as a way to sort of almost punish myself in my old house um, in my old family house that we used to live in that I grew up in we had a we had a treadmill in the garage and I just remember making myself go and run on that thing multiple times a day and it felt like just making myself slave away at the treadmill and I always resented it and it made me resent running so much and I it just took me a while and I think that taking myself out of sports and having that for my doctor kind of gave me the break that I needed and the ability to kind of come back fresh and sort of be able to rebuild and rethink my relationship with running because for so long it was such a negative correlation that I had with running because I always thought of running as you know well that was that was my tactic of how I was trying to make myself lose weight and how I was trying to make myself skinny and I think that it's so important with running that you're not looking at it as this way of losing weight or, you know, getting to a certain weight. I, you know, I think for some people, it's a great way to sort of 
get active and lose some weight if that's your goal. But I think when you take it too far, that's when it gets unhealthy. And I think with running, it's so much more than just doing it for cardio and doing it to lose weight. It's that feeling and that rush of going out on a run and whether it's the morning or you just got off work in the evening and just being able to kind of be with yourself, put your headphones in, turn your music on, turn that podcast on and just tune in and tune out the world. That is the feeling that I wake up for every day that I crave. And it's something that I've also sort of just learned to crave kind of in in replacement to things like alcohol and things that I sort of used to have in my life that weren't really great things and were very toxic to me. And I think that running is just something that is very, it's different for everyone. And I think that it's so important to make sure that you have that healthy relationship with running and that you build that healthy relationship with running. And if you're someone who's gone through an eating disorder similar to me and you struggle to kind of get back into running, but you want to, I think that there are definitely things that you can do to get back into it. You can, you you can go at it sort of slowly and you can, you know, do it without any sort of a tracking app because I know that tracking for some people can be triggering because, you know, for people like me, I used to use things like my fitness pal to track all my calories. And so, For some people, it's about removing things like tracking and the watch and everything that kind of tracks you and your pace and your time and how many calories you're burnt. You know, removing that and, you know, maybe just kind of taking out the headphones as well and just listening to things around you, being aware of things around you, being whether it's in nature or you're in the city. And I think it's just important that when you're in recovery from an eating disorder that you're really kind of learning how to sort of refuel yourself because I think that especially if you're involved in things like sports or the gym or running it's so important to learn how to properly feed yourself and fuel yourself and because nutrition is so important and very vital in running in you know going to the gym and so I think for me it was really helpful in my recovery to kind of learn kind of almost like not so much the science, but really what food is past the calories because I only used to look at food as purely calories. And now I know so much about food as, you know, fats and carbs and proteins. And I think it's so important to kind of utilize that in your recovery because it's so helpful in kind of rebuilding that relationship with food. And I kind of just feel like I'm, you know, kind of talking on and on and on and going off on a tangent, but I really just wanted to do this episode because I do this episode once a year during National Eating Disorders Awareness Week because it's something that was so hard that I went through. It's something that, fun fact, is the only um, little tattoo symbol that I have on myself. It's on my wrist. And and that was something that I just got in London as, you know, I just, I felt really good about recovery and stuff, but it's something that I, I kind of wish that, you know, 16 year old me had these episodes to listen to someone to tell her that she doesn't need to restrict and someone to tell her that it's not going to be worth cutting calories and starving yourself and making yourself slave away at the treadmill because, you know, you're going to lose your period. You're going to have all of these medical issues. You're going to develop, you know, intolerances to food and just all of these things that can be lifelong things that you develop because you kind of, you know, wanted to kind of try and lose weight and calorie count and do that sort of stuff. When really it should just be about kind of eating whole foods and eating until you're full and practicing intentional eating and 
trying to eat less processed foods. I think that making small goals like that, there's nothing wrong with that. And those are things that I kind of make for myself. But at the same time, I think it's also very much okay to kind of you know, have have days where you just want to order in food. And, you know, I think it's all about balance. But I think when you push your body too far, that's kind of when you're going to, you know, really struggle to kind of pick yourself back up. So I really just wanted to make this episode because... I want people listening to know that if you're going through eating disorders, disordered thoughts around food, that you are so much more than the number on the scale, you know, the calories in the food. There is so much more to life than worrying about every single calorie that goes into your body. And there's so much more to life than, you know, losing weight and getting skinny because I got to a point where I wasn't sure if I was going to leave the hospital one day. And by some stroke of luck, one blood test let me leave. And I think that that was the moment that I really just wanted to get better because I knew that I didn't want to, you know, just be a statistic. And I just didn't want, I knew that I was better. And so I just want to, I guess I just want you to know that, you know, there is so much more to life than, you know, counting calories and tracking your food and trying to lose weight. I think that, you know, there's just so much more. All right, so I'm going to kind of finish the episode there. I'm sorry that this was kind of a rambly episode, but I think that there's just so much to be said around this topic personally for me, and I just want to just kind of share my insights year to year, and these are kind of my thoughts this year. So I hope that this episode sort of found you well and that you found it insightful and helpful, and yeah, I really appreciate you listening, and every single person that listens is, it just means so much to me. So yeah, thank you. All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up another episode of the Resiliency and Running podcast. I really do hope that you enjoyed it. As I mentioned in the beginning, I will have lots of links in the show notes for fundraisers that I will be running for this weekend during the David Goggins 4x4x48 challenge. So please do check those out. And yeah, I appreciate you listening as always, and I will see you in the next episode. Bye.